One of my wife's favorite movies is the movie Inside Out. Who's seen the movie Inside Out? Okay, if, especially if you have children or grandchildren, you might have seen this movie. It came out a, a few years ago, and it's the Academy Award-winning animated comedy about what goes on in the mind of a young girl named Riley, uh, where five uh, personified emotions, joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust, try to lead her through life as she and her parents move from, from Minnesota uh, down to San Francisco. Inside Out captures a humorous way we all, what we all face every day in dealing with our emotions. And the main interplay, the main characters in the, uh, the story are the emotions, joy, and sadness. And in a vivid scene on Riley's first day at school, Joy, who was always trying to keep sadness in check, she draws a circle around, around sadness and says, this is the circle of sadness. You cannot leave. This is Riley's first day of school. And there has to be a happy day of school. It has to be a joyous day of school. Now, I'm guessing, and I'll ask this question, who here would like to draw a circle of sadness and banish that emotion from our lives? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Sadness be gone, right? Well, if we do banish sadness from our lives, I dare say we will never truly be happy again. The movie shows that Riley needed to express sad thoughts. In fact, Inside Out did not originate with this understanding of all needed human emotions. In fact, God created our emotions to help us throughout life. In fact, Jesus himself speaks deeply about this way before the movie Inside Out ever came into being. He made it clear in his Sermon on the Mount, and specifically the Beatitude found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, almost 2,000 years ago. As Pastor Jason taught us last Sunday night, the Beatitudes are not the attitudes that we must be having or be doing. These are actually blessings from God. They're eight blessings from God, which makes us, as Sinclair Ferguson says, divinely happy. Who wants to be divinely happy here today? Why, why does God give us these blessings? Well, because they are the values of Christ's kingdom. They characterize the subjects and co-heirs of King Jesus. Did you realize that you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ? It doesn't get better than that. Everything that belongs to him belongs to you in, in the future. And so when Jesus sat down to preach and teach on the Sermon on the Mount, the king was essentially holding court. He wasn't just acting as a rabbi here. He was, he was speaking as a king to his subjects. And as we heard last week, he offers riches beyond comparison to those who declare spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's our memory verse for July. We learned that declaring spiritual bankruptcy is the pathway to finding both our happiness and inheritance in King Jesus. And I know that some of you maybe think this is a downer and wonder, like, why do I always have to talk about sin? Well, like, our sins are forgiven. Why do we have to deal with them anymore? 
There's others of you who think that Jesus was teaching this before the cross, and so this is actually an Old Testament um, extrapolation that Jesus is teaching, and it's still housed under the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. However, until we understand our state of sin, we will not understand our standing in Christ. See, we were not meant to reign while we still have sinful natures, because so often our sinful natures reign in us. This is why the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther said, our entire life must be a continuous contrition and repentance. And it follows what we studied about a year ago in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10, through 10, and which declares, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, I love that word all, all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Acknowledging our sin and making confession as a daily discipline is a conduit of grace. It's something that you and I need to do often. When we acknowledge that we are poor in spirit, we are operating within the kingdom mandate of redemption. And Jesus, listen to this, Jesus is actually reversing the curse starting in this sermon. Pride was the cause of sin, wasn't it? We human beings, at one time, were called Adam and Eve were called to take dominion over the earth. They were supposed to rule over the earth. But then when sin came in through pride, it caused great devastation to us. But listen to this. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. So humility overcomes, overcomes that pride. And we're able to reign again, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Death was the consequence of sin. And I have great news to you. Resurrection overcomes it. And that's why blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If we understand this truth, this foundation, it will really help us grasp this next beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, verse 4, to see how Jesus right, right sides up sadness. He right sides up sadness in his kingdom so we can find divine happiness and comfort. This is the Jesus right siding through his kingdom, this world. The world has it upside down. Like being poor in spirit reverses the curse of pride, Jesus' kingdom uses mourning to reverse the curse of death. And someday mourning will be like, like carnivores, right? It will go the way of the dinosaur. We won't eat meat someday. But for now, Jesus is using sadness as a tool of redemption. So let's find out more as we read from Matthew chapter 5, verses, verse 4. And um, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm going to challenge you, even though we have one verse to memorize this um, month as a, as a community, what if you actually try to memorize all eight Beatitudes? So... Let's all read verse 4 together. I know you have different translations, but blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do you think you can add that to blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Okay, next week, try to have those two 
Um, and, and may you be comforted by God's word today. You may be seated. We may be the saddest generation in history. And not because we have a whole bunch of sad things happening to us. In fact, many of us have lived a reasonably peaceful life compared to many in history. We have not experienced war firsthand. We haven't been conscripted into some army. We haven't experienced financial ruin. We've not gone through the Great Depression. And yet, there is a depression in our society that is very great. According to the Canadian Mental Health Association, one in five of us Canadians will experience some form of mental, mental illness this year. Now, not all of those mental illnesses are depression, but it is significant. Depression has been a taboo subject in the church, and it shouldn't be. Many both in scripture and down through church history, have suffered from depression. I think David was depressed at times, right? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? The great Charles Spurgeon, prince of preachers who preached to massive crowds a hundred years ago in London, England, he suffered depression because one day he was preaching and somebody yelled fire. It was a false alarm and there was a rush out of the building and people were killed and he felt very bad about that. And he, he suffered from depression his whole life. And he wrote this. Man is a double being. He's composed of body and soul and each of the portions of man may receive injury and hurt. Sadly, we have not acknowledged the daily injury to our souls. Every week, you have experienced injury to your souls. This week you did. There have been affections that you've been tempted with that have, have caused injury to your soul. People maybe have said unkind things to you. There's been hurt built up. We have injury to, your soul, to our souls every single day. And what are we doing with it? Added to this is our avoidance and sanitation of death where funerals are are really decreasing. There's less and less funerals, and grief counseling is increasing. Those two are related. I think this is due to naturalistic thinking, where we do not believe there's an afterlife anymore in our society, and so we must move on as if this person's life really didn't matter. I mean, there's no celebration of life that this, is, this person was created in God's image and they really matter. They have dignity. So we just move on. It causes depression. The world has it all backwards. You think about it. We, we use technology to end life and suffering prematurely when in reality suffering continues for those left behind and suffering will continue in hell if we don't believe in Jesus. In fact, if this life is all that there is, we should try to continue to live as long as we can. We Christians should be the ones who should be saying yes to euthanasia. But we're not, right? Because when we die, to die is gain, to be with Christ. 
but we uphold life. So we live in a paradox of spending millions of dollars on extending life for the sick and aged, and yet also shorten life and kill those who are suffering. These are the kind of conversations that my dad and I have. No wonder there's a great depression in our society, because there's been a general rejection of Jesus. However, not all that is labeled depression is depression. It's rather a profound sadness. In his acclaimed book, The Noonday Demon, an atlas of depression, Andrew Solomon defines this. Grief is depression in proportion to circumstance, while depression is grief out of proportion to circumstance. Now that's a little bit, little bit heavy. Let me try to explain it this words, in this way. In other words, grief is right-sized to the loss that you've experienced. If you've lost a massive, uh, per, like a massive um, something in your life, then, it, then it's going, that grief is going to be extended, right? Whereas depression becomes like this supersized monster that feels overwhelming. And that monster grows because multiplied sadnesses can also take a dark turn toward depression. And it's scary because it's like mental arthritis, which is chronic, and yet it still ambushes with new levels of pain. I've at times had some arthritis. I always remember my grandfather, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he'd go, Oh, Arthur! <laughs> he named arthritis, his arthritis Arthur, right? <laughs> and that's what happens when we actually are able to label something I feel like we can at least get on top of it. This, thank you so much for praying for my dad this week. And we got a diagnosis and it just, it helps so much. It gave us hope, right? When you can say, this is what the cause is. So depression can be this, this big monster, but there's someone bigger. The Lord God. He's larger than the depression in your life. And he's going to come here and he's with you now. But surprisingly, God doesn't always slay the monster of depression. At least not yet. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons God uses mourning and depression in our lives. The first is to reveal our character and affections. Pastor Warren Wearsby, who just went home to be with the Lord asked a great question. He said this, if you want to know a person's character, find out what makes him or her laugh and find out what makes him or her weep. So what makes you laugh? What makes you cry? Do the things you laugh about honor the Lord and, and increase joy in others or do you laugh at other people's expense and what is unwholesome? Do you weep at sin and injustice because others are in pain? Or do you cry because you lost some possessions and a promotion? When you are the co-heir with Jesus Christ and everything that you have, that he has, will someday be yours. Right? Let's get perspective on things. And I have to also say that God is not the cause of depression. And you might not be either. 
We're so quick to jump on people and say, oh, well, you must be sinning. Depression is not a sin. You never find depression listed in the Bible as sin. It's not one of the lists that will keep you out of the kingdom of God. But depression isn't innately good either, is it? It's a part of the, the fallen human condition in the world we live in. And yet God redeems it to reveal our character and our affections, what's really our priorities in life. How'd you handle those losses this week? A second reason why God uses mourning and depression in our lives is to reveal sin. You see, the sinner who hates his sin and mourns over it will find comfort in God's mercy. I love what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor turned pastor, how he explains it. Listen to this. Your great sorrow leads to joy. And without the sorrow, there is no joy. Now, this is not only at conversion, like we heard Jennifer tell of her testimony earlier, but it's something that continues to be true of Christians. Dr. Jones says, he finds himself guilty of sin and at first casts himself down and mourns, but in that turn, turn, it drives him back to Christ. And the moment he goes back to Christ, his peace and happiness return and he's comforted. Have you ever felt guilty for your sin and then all of a sudden you came to Christ and there's joy once again, you're comforted? That's part of this. Blessed are you who mourn, you could say, over your sin, for you shall be comforted. Maybe that's actually the first thing we need to mourn, even before we've lost loved ones. I know some of you are really hurting. But the first thing we need to mourn is over our sin. Loss of innocence, righteousness, self-respect, relationships. We need to start to see our great and constant need for Christ. And is this acknowledgement we find, listen to this, a grace that never tires to forge our hope. Zach Eswine says it this, that way again. I'll say it again. A grace that never tires to forge our hope. God's grace is inexhaustible and it forges a hope in us. I like how the late James Montgomery Boyce, pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, explains it, sin how we're to mourn over it. It says the presence of sin in our lives is a bit like the presence of carbon monoxide in the exhaust system of a, an automobile. So long as the car runs, the deadly gas will be present, but not harmful. If it's unchecked, though, it will bring death to the occupant of the car. But when the car is running properly and properly maintained, the carbon monoxide is contained within, in, within the exhaust system. So it does not break forth in death. And only a slight smell, we sometimes smell, not carbon monoxide, but smells from the oils and all that, is present as it's mixed with the burning oil and gas fumes. And in the same way, there will always be the smell of sin about us and in what we do. But it need not break out to bring death. The restraining power of Christ through the Holy Spirit will prevent it. And the contamination of death need not spread from us. In this too, there is great hope for the Christian, Dr. Boyce says. We need to mourn over our sin. Not only does God use mourning 
and depression to reveal our character and affections and also our sins. But a third reason why God uses mourning and depression is to empathize with others, to relate to others. Pastor Charles Spurgeon, that Prince of Preachers, once remarked this. Listen to this. In talking with those who are in a wretched condition, I find myself at home. Wow. Maybe that was why he was such an effective preacher. Lots of us who, you know, all of a sudden start people, man, we're having such a hard day. We just want to run away, don't we? I don't want to listen to this. But when you've gone through pain yourself, all of a sudden you see somebody who's sad and hurting and you stop and you care for them. And he goes on to say this, as only Spurgeon could say, he who has been in the dark dungeon knows the way to the bread and the water. Our Lord himself entered the dark dungeon and pain of this world. And he not only knew the way to the bread and water, he is the bread. And he is the living water. And yet he still, he still wept. Recall how he wept at the loss of his friend Lazarus. He saw the pain roll over, the waves of grief roll over his friend's, Lazarus' family. We should remember what Susanna Kaysen understands. After all, on this side of heaven, there's no cure for sadness or depression. No saint or hero is immune. Every one of us has experienced sadness today, right? In fact, Jesus is saying, this is amazing to me, that mourning is a characteristic of the saint and a characteristic of his subjects in the kingdom, and yet you're blessed if you mourn. You're literally, you're happy if you mourn. Now that sounds like we're talking out of both sides of our mouths. Let me explain further. But first I need you to understand the tense of this verb. Otherwise you won't get it. I won't get it. We'll expect it now. Matthew 5, 4 says this. Blessed are those who mourn for, what does it say? For they sh shall be comforted. Does that mean we're going to be comforted today? Maybe. But we will in the future, right? That not future might happen on earth, but it's guaranteed it's going to happen in heaven. I dare say mourning will now eliminate mourning later. What am I talking about? Well, did you realize that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 25, verse 30, that there's going to be a weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell? In other words, this, catch this. Hell is full of mourners. Hell is full of mourners. And so the Beatitudes are full of irony. If we mourn now over our sin... We won't be mourning over it in heaven because there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more mourning in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth as we read in Revelation 21, verse 4. And as we mourn over our sin and see the consequences of our sin in our lives and in others, it causes us not only to empathize, but it points, helps us to point others to Christ. 
How? Well, here's some real practical advice and tips how to mourn with those who mourn from Pastor Zach S. Wine. The first is for us who are suffering today. Maybe that's you. As a sufferer, tell your story by searching for metaphors to describe your experience. Just like how earlier I described depression as, as, a, as a big monster, right? Or as others have described as mental arthritis. Or as one writer has said, a stubborn darkness. All those are metaphors. The second tip is for the caregiver. As a caregiver, learn patience and appreciation for the metaphor. In fact, metaphors invite us to say, what does that mean? Explain further. And when you start to discover meaning, you can turn that into a gospel conversation because all things were created through him, that's Christ, and for him, and through him to reconcile to him all things. So you can say, in Colossians 1, it teaches that this pain could be used to cause you to be reconciled to Christ, to be helped in your life. And this is why we can thirdly use the stories and metaphors to point to the ultimate Savior and caregiver. Think about Jesus. Did he not suffer on the cross, and yet he still gave care to those who are more like, I'm always amazed that Jesus is on the cross, and he looks down at his mother, and he brings over his, his beloved disciple John, and he hands over care of his mother to the apostle John. At his most profoundly sad time as he experienced the separation of his father, he was still caring for others. And he's still caring for you. And he's still caring for me. And nothing evidences this more than one of Jesus' names. Who is the man of sorrows? Jesus Christ, right? He fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 53.3. Sing with me. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God to came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. As the worship team comes up, I want to remind you to wait and worship. Such mourning will result in comfort. Such watchful mourning will result in comfort. Because as we wait, Jesus will come. And he'll give us hope and comfort once again. Oh God, you are the God of all comfort. You're the only God of comfort. And I so cling to you. We cling to you. We thank you for this truth. Help us to mourn now so that we'll be comforted and never mourn again. We thank you for eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
God's people said, amen.